you're listening to episode 21 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to do a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Our podcast is officially 21 episodes old. That means we can get it shwasted. I literally had to come up with that on the fly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it was good. All right. Define good. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, our podcast is officially 21. Uh, We wanted to do a drunk episode where everyone but me would drink during the episode. And then by the main topic, we would be belligerent. Uh, I thought that would be fun. Not happening. But most of the time, we're already on the journey anyway. I'm super hungover, uh, too, by the ins- way. Yeah, instead, maybe half of us are hungover. Yesterday, for us, was St. Patrick's Day. So I'm sure many of you guys were, you know, drinking green beer or whatever it is. So whether you are drunk or sober listening to this, whether you are 21, 11, or 111, you need to go and check us out all over the internet. You need to check out our social media at the Comics Pals on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you need to hit us up on all of the podcast hosting platforms, but I will highlight one because I love to do this. Uh, iTunes. Check us out on iTunes where we are a five-star rated podcast. You can leave us a star rating. Leave us that sweet five-star rating if you like us or leave us a one-star rating if you don't. And tell us why Phil is your least favorite pal. <laughs> you can also check us out on YouTube where you can subscribe to our channel. You can like the video and you can share it with your friends, which helps us out a lot. So please do do that. Yeah. And you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's thecomicspals with an S at gmail.com. So. It's been a week since our last episode, as it tends to be the case, and I'm sure all of us have gotten to read something or interacted with comic books on some level since the last episode, so let's go around the room, as we always do, and talk about the things that we read. Kale, you want to start us off? Uh, yeah, I had a really busy week. Uh, Jess and I were visiting Phil in Philly, uh, so I did not get to read a ton but I did catch the first episode of Iron Fist. Uh, and guys, I gotta tell you, um, Marvel's going in a weird new direction with this. Um, so uh, let me let me just tell you what I saw, and um, you can you know go go from your impressions. Uh, so it was sort of like it sort of had like a like an older film. Yeah, maybe it was filmed around the '90s, um, and they must be they must be diverting from like the Iron Fist origin because there were there were three kids and they were pretty young. Uh, I don't know, eleven ish. Uh, three kids. the 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 kids' names were uh, Rocky, Colt, and okay. Tum Tum. Um, and it just uh, are you guys too young for this reference? <laughs> well, those are all Highland Commandos, right? <laughs> no, no. Okay, so the the the. Okay, I was worried this bit wouldn't land, and clearly it didn't. Uh, 
Sorry, Gail. We're uh, young boys. My 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 joke my joke was that I confused the three ninjas with oh. Iron Fist. Hey, the third one's really good because it's High Noon Mountain and Hulk Hogan is in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So shame on you guys. Uh, yeah, Some Iron Fist is good. Some of the babies in the audience will hopefully have gotten that one. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Anyway, uh, Iron Fist is okay. I only, like I said, I only got to see the uh, first episode. That part was true. Um, so far, you know, we've we've stated all of our fears for the show. Uh, so far, I don't feel like it's going, you know, a bad route with the character. So far, so far, it seems like. Um, the the hype is sort of uh or the anti-hype i guess is a little strong um but like i said i'm only in the first episode so uh, i i heard uh a lot of reviews said that like the first two episodes are just really boring uh the first was good enough that it 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 it'll it got me to the second like i i do want to watch the second so I mean, that's all it really needs to do you know yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, we talked about it pretty well last week. It's like, I don't know, I I've, I really just want to kind of see it for myself. You know, I'm, I'm glad to see that you liked it, though, because, like, I, I trust, like, that you're not coming at it with the, the same politicization that we seem to think that some of the reviewers are, at least, so. Yeah, and I sort of had to, like, there's a, I, and I'm not spoiling anything here, there's a scene where he, like, uh, jumps from a fence to like a second story window on like Bleecker Street or something, and I <laughs> and living in New York, I had to go. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> and, and then and then I went, okay, hang on. Like this is a Marvel movie. The guy that Kung Fu trained from on a mystical mountain he hugged and a got dragon Kung Fu powers. Super- like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just calming down a sec. So, I don't know. Yeah, I guess uh, more on that next week. Yeah, so next week, more of us will have seen it, and we will have a bigger conversation. Maybe we'll all have finished it, and we can talk about the show as a whole. We'll see what happens. I would love for us all to at least agree to watch the first six episodes by then, so we can, like, you know, give some impressions. So, uh, Pete, what did you read or engage with? Not this week? not really much. Um, I like had a ton of work on my plate this week and was like not feeling super well. I had a wedding last night and stuff, and I like didn't really do much of anything. Like uh, I, I played a little bit more of Horizon Zero Dawn and some Zelda, um, but like even that was like really not too much. It's like I don't know, kind of a slow week for me. Okay, um, I spent a lot of time reading comics this week and I read a ton of stuff but what really stuck out to me was Wonder Woman I've I've talked about Greg Rucka's Wonder Woman run a, a bunch of times already on this show so I'm not going to go into like what it's about and all this stuff too much other than to reiterate that uh, each week or each time it comes out there's two stories that are kind of running concurrently so uh there's a story that takes place in the current, and then a story that takes place in the past. Mm-hmm. And, They're both by Greg, though, right? Yeah, uh, but both have different artists, and they the stories kind of interrelate, and they inform each other, which is really cool. That's uh, like a really cool idea. I, I'm really into that as a concept. Yeah, 
so the way the fact that he was told, hey, you have to push this book out twice monthly, you know, he was able to come up with a really great way to utilize that to his advantage. Uh, so I, I'm I this is probably my favorite book being published easily by DC, probably by any publisher. Um, I've always wanted to read a Wonder Woman comic book, but I never got around to it, partially because I heard they weren't good, but also because uh, even even some of the stories that they had done in the past, for whatever reason, I just never was compelled enough to go buy it, even though I really wanted to read it. So when this book was announced with Rucka on it, uh, I, I knew that I had to give it a shot. And I haven't been disappointed one bit. It's it's the Wonder Woman story that like, I'm really happy that they did uh, because it works on the level of me being a new reader, but also having some knowledge of the character. It works on both levels. So if you are if you know everything about her, you'll still be challenged and it'll still be interesting. But if you don't, you'll learn a lot. So it's a really good book, and it just fires on all cylinders. It's 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 easily one of the best things being published right now. And uh, I just I I don't know. I just had a lot of emotions while reading it um, for a lot of different reasons. It's just a well told story. It has every element that a story needs to be good. And I have no doubt that it's going to continue to stay good. So if you if you care about Wonder Woman or you want to read something going into the new movie, this is definitely the one to check out. Cool. Uh, yeah. I might have to give that a shot. Uh, Sean, uh, I, th- I think I remember the last time you talked about this. Uh, the, the time swap is like between issues, right? So one week it's current times and then the next week it's in the past, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually wish that they were doing something like this for the movie, just because there are so many people who don't know who Wonder Woman is. This would be such a cool way to kind of introduce her and different than what normally is done in these films. But what do you mean, like doing like a movie that told two stories concurrently like that? Yeah, that would be cool. Or at least it called into question her origins because she's a god, right? So, or you know, she's she's an Amazon and. Like, there's all this mystery surrounding where she comes from and who those gods are that they worship. And I just think it'd be really cool to play with that in a film by calling into question. Because the book calls into question even what she really knows about her origins. Well, Um, dude, it's like I was – I just, like, learned this the other day. Like, I didn't realize Wonder Woman had such a complicated, like, history with origin stories. Like, that, like, her original origin is, like, basically that she's, like, a golem. And then, like, they, like, kind of tried to get away from that and, like, made her the... Yeah, yeah. right. Well, and... Phil, you'll like this. This story actually is very reminiscent of what Grant Morrison did with Batman, where all that stuff, all that history is is in play. Like, it's it's all being called into question and held up to the light, and they're kind of asking, well, is this really what happened? That's cool. Oh, I, I like that. That's good. I, I like when authors play with, like, the vast history and playground of a character's like uh, bibliography. So where where does where does Rucka land on it though? Is she like is she made of clay or is she like the the daughter of Ares? Or not Ares, um, Zeus. We don't we don't really know because yeah, like the story is still unfolding and she's still like learning. She doesn't even know where her homeland is. She doesn't know where Themyscira is. She can't find it. Oh shit. Yeah, like everything is everything is wrong right very now. Very hazy. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's very different. Not to like stay on Wonder Woman too much longer, but um, I just wanted to like ask you guys a question. Um, 
Like, how do you feel about the the notion of um, her being like the daughter of Zeus and that kind of being like, I guess, a little antithetical to the character that like the 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 background story of her being Clay is like a little bit more appropriate, like uh, with her as like being a feminist uh, icon because like she is of women and like. Uh, connecting her backstory to some like holy man that like is a reason why she has powers like i don't necessarily know if i feel that way but i've heard that point made and i wonder how you guys feel about it uh you should read earth one by morrison because what he does he, he tries to go back to the golden age roots and uh he touches on this subject kind of and he talks about it in some interviews but um what he did with the origin story is that she was under the preconception that she was made of stone like she was molded from clay but really like her 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 birth came as a result of like the like animalistic primal nature of man and her father is hercules in that story because because like it was trying to make a point of like why the the amazonians were so like anti-men because of like how vicious and and primal they were, but Wonder Woman is like the culmination of both like both man and woman from this this Themyscira standpoint. Okay, it's huh. interesting. Uh, so what I was gonna say was it um like in you know in the Bible, um, woman is you know God creates woman out of man's rib, right? Uh, but Adam is made from the ground. Like God molded him from the ground, so I wonder if there's some. Uh, I I think you know if you look at it sort of in a biblical context, it, it makes her, uh, you know, more masculine. You know, it, it it shifts her more toward the the male side That's of interesting. whatever well i guess only if you take that analog literally though right because like you, if you right. use it yeah like, that's what that's what i say yeah you have to you have to like base it in that particular theological no, concept I think, context I think, but i think even that theological context is interesting though because you could argue that m- not making her more masculine by making her made of stone but making her like instead of saying woman was made from man you're saying well wonder woman was made from earth you know, and like yeah, that doesn't yeah, make her exactly. more masculine. Yeah, yeah. That makes her more truly woman. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes her more pure instead of being made from something else. Yeah, and like maybe we're reading into it, but um, I don't know. I think that's an interesting. That's an well, interesting I mean, comparison. That's, that's, that yeah, that's that's what you asked me to do <laughs> is read into it. So yeah, no, no. Like I definitely think that's <laughs> uh, yeah, that's valuable. Um, for sure. Any other? I, I didn't realize that we had such interesting things to say about Wonder Woman. Uh, maybe a Wonder Woman episode is in the works. Yeah, oh, we'll definitely do a Wonder Woman episode. We we've we've talked about Wonder Woman a lot in many episodes, but never had like a pure Wonder Woman episode. Yeah, we'll definitely do one when the movie comes out. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Marco, Marco, what'd you engage with um, this week? This week, uh, as you guys saw, I got like a new batch of books, so I started diving right into that. Uh, read Moon Knight. Um, by Jeff Lemire and uh, Greg Smallwood. That was really, really cool. Really trippy. Um, Moon Knight's I, your kind of superhero, Marco. Yeah, yeah. Especially in that context. Like, I, I've read the um, the one, the previous one with Brian Wood and... Um, Warren Ellis, you mean. Well, yeah, and Warren Ellis also. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I, I went. Um, I started with um, with Ellis and uh, and Wood first, and you know that that was pretty cool. It was uh, it sort of touched upon his mental condition and whatnot. But Lemire's stuff was that was heavy in just trying to mess with your head. Um, yeah, every, that's a really fun character. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I definitely want to read more. It sucks that he doesn't publish that stuff as often. I think. I think they're only on issue 11 and this trade came out like a year and a half ago, maybe. <laughs> and so it's been really a really slow process. Um, so you'll so get the second trade like 2020. Next year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At this rate, yeah. Um, but no, really, really cool. And I was digging um, Smallwood's art because he uses, uh, like, he makes everything look like, like noisy um, so that it produces like a sandy effect uh so super super cool all the panels look like obelisks sometimes when, they, when they're, they're stacked um really cool use of panels really cool use of gutters um so super cool book um i also read um giant days um by um i'm forgetting the name allison something um i, I like i literally i had that on my desk like up until I like just cleaned it off the other day. Fuck. It, oh, have you read I it? I think I haven't read it. John Allison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Allison. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you did you read it? Yeah. It's good. It's it's yeah. um it's really really like cute story. Um, it gets into the, the personalities of these three the three main characters. Um. I don't and, remember the names either. <laughs> I don't remember the names either. Yep. <laughs> and um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think I talked fun. about that on like the second or third episode of the show. Like, it's Did just a, it's just a cute story. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. The characters are likable. They have good chemistry. It's funny. It's well yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely getting the 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 other trades for it. Uh, and I've been like waiting to find it in the wild. I think I just I'm gonna have to just like order it. Because <laughs> it's not. It's uh. It's I think it's an independent publisher. It's Boombox. Well, Boombox is an imprint of Boom, aren't they? Is it? Yeah, it's it's like a, a an all ages imprint of Boom. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I got the first trade um, at New York Comic Con last year with uh, I was with Phil and and Sean and uh, and we were like at the Midtown Comics booth and I just like I did the exact thing you're not supposed to do and bought a book based on its cover. I was like, this looks fun. Like, no, yeah, it is. It's a good book though. Yeah, I liked it. Um, it's like it's it's interesting how much how enjoyable it is, even though like very little happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's it's just dialogue mostly. Like it feels like a sitcom. Like it's just like there's these three like very distinct personalities bouncing off one another, and like there's a hint at like something more comic booky coming, but like it's like not even really like the purpose, you know? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, it's good. for for me, I thought it was gonna like in certain situations i thought i was gonna get like really dark but it sort of kept it very lighthearted. um like there's just one part where i think one of the characters starts taking um pills so she can stay more awake and more active and i'm like oh no they're gonna like take her and she's gonna become addicted to these things but it's like no she just gets over it and it's fine and it's yeah, like oh it, all right she's like she's just in college and like takes a Adderall or some shit like that it's like okay like <laughs> yeah, yeah um so it's a fun book and I'm also rereading, um, 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 because I ordered it, uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Um, and yeah, 
So uh, that was my my week. Awesome, Phil. So I hosted Kale this week as he came to the city of brotherly love, and we decided to live tweet and watch X Men Apocalypse, which neither of us had seen and or particularly liked. Oh <laughs> boy, was it not good! <laughs> had Jess seen it either? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, the first half of the movie was like okay. It was pretty good. And yeah, I would even argue the first three quarters of the movie was pretty good. And then the second half, on a dime, just became... <laughs> I mean, like like as as I'm turning my head, boom, bad movie. <laughs> like <laughs> it was incredible how bad it got. It was just like oh, this is pretty good. You know, like all this Magneto stuff in the first half of the movie, it's like, oh shit, this is pretty compelling. But then there's a lot of Jennifer Lawrence stuff that Kayla and I just kept groaning at. And then all of a sudden. You like, like J Law? She's terrible in those Bro, movies. Bro, they're such haters. It's so funny. Like, I don't like, I'm not like particularly a Jennifer Lawrence fan, but like, God, the hate that she gets is like unreal. But then, so <laughs> we figured out, we figured it out. There's a scene. Where several mutants get abducted, and Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Nightcrawler have to go rescue them, and they accidentally set the Wolverine loose, or they don't accidentally set him loose, but they set him loose. That's where the movie starts turning into schlock. That is like the moment, and like it's a cool fan service moment, but like it doesn't fit the movie, and everything after that, it just goes downhill. Uh, that sucks, man. And it doesn't just it doesn't just go downhill, you know. It's not like it's not like uh, Calvin and Hobbes going down on a uh, down the hill on a wagon. It's like it like rockets down the hill, <laughs> and it's gonna hit a wall and like blow up. Like Wiley e. Coyote goes down the hill. <laughs> and Kale and I are just sitting there saying, like, what what are Apocalypse's motives again? And like, how is this happening? Why is he like this? Like, there's no like like Oscar Isaac is a great actor. I love him. Uh, and I think I think he uh, got some uh, unfair treatment for this. Like I, he wasn't that bad. He had his moments where he was really good. Where he first encounters Xavier, he's super super intimidating. Uh, it's just there's nothing for him to work with, and the ending just turns into a fucking beam war. <laughs> it's just garbage. Like what are the emotional stakes here? <laughs> oh yeah, and and Beast is jumping around in these. You know, in all these hyper volatile, dangerous beams. <laughs> well, he doesn't have any beams, so he's got to jump. <laughs> oh, dude, the last like twenty minutes of that movie, absolute garbage. Yeah. So, Phil, you've spent a lot of time on this podcast defending Fox X Men <laughs> movies. So, I'm just curious, how does this change your perspective? On what Fox has done with the X-Men. Hold on, Phil. Before you answer that, I would also like to preface uh, his answer with, as soon as we got off uh, the call, was it two or so episodes ago when we had that the last argument we had about Fox and Marvel? Phil said, oh yeah, I've never actually seen the bad X-Men movies. So that's why he thinks all the good X-Men movies are good. is because he hasn't seen the bad ones. Well, no, I'd seen X3. That's the only bad one I had seen. Yeah. Uh, but you missed I, this one, and you hadn't seen Origins or... That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
No, it doesn't change my opinion because when we did the the Fox versus Marvel episode, I had said like they're either really good or really bad. Like there's no real in between. Maybe Wolverine is the in between one, the, yeah. the Japan one. I would agree but with that. For the most part, they're either really solid or really not. Where with Marvel movies, for the most part, it all they all feel kind of bland or safe. Not all of them feel that way, obviously, but like the collective majority. And I'd rather have like a really good one or a really bad one than one that's in between. So that that wraps it up for what we've done this week. Uh, so instead of doing a random question uh, this week, we're going to play our game, Pete's game, Apples and Origins. So Pete, why don't you take it away? All right, so real quick, if uh, you've never been on an episode where we've played Apples and Origins, uh, just to quickly go over the rules, um, essentially the point of the game is to create a superhero. Uh, we put one minute on the clock and we go around in like a round robin kind of style and each person has to name an aspect of the character as quickly as we can. When the one minute clock is up, every single person has to submit a name for that character, that team, or that comic about that character, depending on like kind of how the character is shaped. Um, during the the one minute and then uh, we all vote on who wins and you can't vote for yourself and you know you get the most votes you get the point take the round sounds good let's do a let's do a kung fu edition kung okay can we can yeah. we agree to do something that's both kung fu and irish in honor of iron fist and saint patrick's day oh boy oh, all right. oh you mean you mean in honor of iron fist yes <laughs> in, in honor of ireland fist Ireland. <laughs> uh, all right, so, um, who, Kayla, you got the clock ready? All right. Uh, who wants to start it? I'll start it. Okay. Kale, What's the order? Start? What's the order? What's the order? Okay, we'll go uh, Phil, Marco, Kale, Pete, Sean. Okay. Cool. Ready? Go. All right. He His blood is made out of Guinness. <laughs> he throws around cauldrons of gold. He's Aww. black. Wait, what, Kale? He's black. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. He's Catholic. His blood is green. Uh, he's got red hair? He has red flaming hair. He's from He's from the Irish part of Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> he can control fire, um, but he's fueled by, by beer. <laughs> he can't talk. Uh, he projects Blarney stones. <laughs> he has a, a a leprechaun familiar. <laughs> he he can weaponize his uh, beer farts. <laughs> so he can't talk, but he can still communicate by speaking telepathically, and it's in an Irish <laughs> accent. <laughs> All, right. All right. What do we? So do we name him or do we name the book? Name him. Name him. Okay. Oh, all, all right. right so Ireland th- fist. <laughs> all right. Wait, what? Ireland fist. Ireland fist. Okay. All right. So yeah, let's, let's, I got. I got mine. Let's recap the abilities real quick while everyone comes up with the name. So Phil, since you already have yours, why don't you recap it? All right. For mine, he is. is I, I'll recap what I can remember here, and you guys can help me out. He uh, has blood that's made out of green Guinness. He weaponizes his beer farts. Uh. Let's see. He, he has rose gold and Blarney stones <laughs> and, and, Blarney and stones. fire and he has and fire, fire powers and his hair is red fire and he is a leprechaun familiar oh. and he's, he's also black. F- he's also from Saturn. 
the Irish part of Saturn. He's black and Catholic right. and mute, but has telepathic powers and has an Irish accent. <laughs> his, <laughs> his telepathic speaking is in an Irish accent. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Alright, what do we name this guy? The Beer Bender. Ooh. Uh... Uh, ye, ye old Saturnalia. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. That's a good one. Mm, uh, Blackfist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Fine, I'm gonna go with the classic uh, black name too then. Black Blarney. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man, there it is. That's my vote. Black Blarney. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, all right um all right so then let's all go around one time we'll say our thing and everybody can give their votes all right all right starting um, with phil all right uh, from the top i want to hear everyone's one more time so yeah I've, starting uh, with you ireland fest uh mine was the beer bender i had yield saturnalia i had black fist <laughs> and i had black barney <laughs> oh yeah black barney, barney. yeah, yeah <laughs> black, black barney, black barney. Yep. Um, All right, well, then I win. <laughs> yep. I finally won a round! Oh, yeah! Yes! Good for victory, yeah. Nice. And then cue the Irish drink music. <laughs> <laughs> that was I fun. I won on this, the holiday of my people. <laughs> uh, Alright, so let's do some news. So, uh, earlier we talked... <laughs> No, keep talking, Sean. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, I, I, I don't like that one bit. <laughs> I agree, Kale. Um, so earlier we talked a little bit about Iron Fist and Kale's initial impressions. Uh, everyone else's initial impressions on the internet have been far less um, positive than Kale's, unfortunately. And the Iron Fist actor, Finn Jones, has come out in defense of his show. Uh, but he's oh, done it in, in a, a little bit oh, of a, God. a weird it's like way. So not, not good. <laughs> so <laughs> this this is what he said. He said, "While I think there's multiple factors addressing the negative reaction to the show, he says what I will say is these shows are not made for critics. They are first and foremost made for fans. I also think some of the reviews we saw." We're seeing the show through a very specific lens, and I think when the fans of the Marvel Netflix world and the fans of the comic book views, view the show through the lens of just wanting to enjoy a superhero show, then they will really enjoy what they see. So that is a portion of <laughs> how he has chosen to defend this show. He's also made the claim that the negative reaction to the show is due to the presidency of Donald Trump. Yep, 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 yep. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, like, what What else can you say about that? Like, yeah, the show probably would have been really good if Donald Trump wasn't president, I guess. Guys, I think literally everybody, everything would be a little bit better if Donald <laughs> Trump wasn't president right now. You know I don't know if anyone you know would what? well. That's fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I this was just this was just a bad move for him this is a bad pr move like people are allowed to not like your show like don't go out and defend it like that like there was no good that was going to come from that you know yeah like as we've been talking about the hype and i've been thinking about it a lot like 
one of the things that I've been trying to think about is like, what would I do in this situation? Like, how would I approach doing the show? How would I approach being, you know, Finn Jones in this situation? And to me, the answer is very clearly, I mean, I hope we did okay. And that's it. Shut the fuck up. I, I want to include his his uh, commentary about Trump just because I think it's it's so funny. Uh, so he says, I'm playing a white American billionaire superhero at a time when the white American billionaire archetype is public enemy number one, especially in the Fuck. U.S. We filmed the show way before Trump's election. I think it's very interesting to see how that perception now that Trump is in power, how it makes it very difficult to root for someone coming from white privilege when the archetype is public at public enemy number one. So I want to comment on that because it's stupid. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yes, it's true that Donald Trump is president. And yes, it's true that on its face, it could be tough for people to root for a white billionaire character. That could be true. However, the problem with that is that the iron fist character is not, that's that's not his story. His story is not the story of a white billionaire. His story is the story of someone who goes into another culture and learns about their that culture and appreciates that culture and brings that appreciation and that love and the teachings from that culture over here back into uh, his American roots and uses what he learned there to be a positive force for good here in this world. And that's a great story. I don't know. Because I haven't watched the show that that's the story that they're telling. But from the reviews that I have read, that's not what comes across. It's, it, the reviews that I have read say that the show doesn't have a heart. And the Iron Fist story is nothing if not a story about a character with heart. A big, huge heart. And so to use that as a defense is pretty disgusting. Because at the end of the day, you have the responsibility to give this sh- to give people a reason to want to watch your show. To, to to give people uh that that subliminal that undercurrent like what Jessica Jones and Daredevil had that informs the readers and connects with them on a real level. If your show is literally just about a white billionaire, then of course we can't relate to that because I'm not white and I'm not a billionaire. You know? But there are other parts of Iron Fist that I do relate to and I love the character. So it's frustrating that he would say this. Uh I just want to say I relate to the show because I'm a billionaire. Um, I don't really get it on any other level, though. So, <laughs> kills their target audience. Uh, half their target audience, Marco. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I definitely agree with you, Sean. Um, I, I, I think like if that is the defense, right? Is like, oh, people don't like this because they don't want to root for a white billionaire. It's like I feel like there's a deeper issue there with what the way that the show is portraying the character. Then, you know, yeah, yeah Iron Fist is. Like, the only time he's ever portrayed as a billionaire is when he's actually doing stuff with the company. Other than that, you have no idea that he even has money. Yeah, that, I mean, I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't know he was a millionaire for the, the like, the original, my original exposure to Iron Fist was as Luke Cage's friend. And, like, for a long time, I didn't know that he was rich, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, he's just some white guy who does magic karate. Okay. He seems like a cool guy, <laughs> and that was- it's such a small part of his character. It it really is, and maybe the show is making more of it than what it is in the comics. But well, it's like the whole thing of like if they if they draw out his origin in the same way they drew out Daredevils, like yeah, they probably are. Then you know, like or maybe they're trying to give it like a more Arrow vibe or something. 
but like well and like based on what i've seen like there are hints of like going down the the route of the uh immortal iron fist where sort of like the background arc is his uh his struggle against like i don't know they probably won't use hydra in this but like you know the in the first issue danny and his you know uh, business advisor meet with like these chinese businessmen who are trying to make a, a hostile takeover for their business you know for rancorp or whatever it's sort of it seems like there's potential to, to go that way um uh, but i mean that's yeah like like we said that's such a small part of his character and even even the immortal iron fist narrative that uh, it's it's weird that they're gonna make that a whole season worth of show and and to further criticize his point he's he's saying this as if we don't live in a world where batman exists i don't think that interest in batman has suddenly gone down because he's a white billionaire no one cares the character's yeah. compelling make the character compelling yeah also like arrow's a really popular show like i yeah. guess like I iron guess man his point yeah. is that yeah. like those things had steam before donald trump's presidency and this is new his point is still dumb but <laughs> yeah yeah i guess i guess you know well taken on um in in terms of what you said it's just that i i just don't see people boycotting this show or criticizing this show on that on that basis i do, i do think on some level we talked about this last week though i do think on some level people are people are quit are ready for this show to be bad that yeah that's definitely true. And i don't i don't think it has anything to do with him being a white billionaire per se but like the whole narrative around it of like like the like just people calling iron fist a white savior character right like I think that does kind of play into the negative backlash that we're seeing already because, and again, like, this is totally anecdotal. Haven't watched the show. I can go uh, based on a bunch of critics who's, I didn't know by name, right? And then Kale, who I know, uh, and then a couple of our friends who, who are comic readers on Facebook and stuff like that, like friends of the show, like, um, Brian Del Pozo, right? Who are like, who have said, like, they've watched the first episode and, you know, or like, oh, it's not, it doesn't seem as bad as people are making it out to be. Yeah. Right? Um, Chris Messiah so like, was saying the same thing too. It's like, it's not as bad as they, like, he thought it was going to be. He said maybe some of the action sequences, but honestly, to get the flack that it received, it seems unwarranted at this point. And like, maybe that's even an overcorrection because they're going into it with such low expectations because of this. So it's, it's uh, almost impossible to know, like, where we would be feeling about this with but like you can't judge things in a vacuum right like these this baggage came with this thing and i do think it is on some level affecting our conversation around it whether or not it actually that doesn't make the show good or bad though right like it could suck independently of those things for sure um and i think i think the best course of action for anybody at all is to just watch it yeah form um, your own opinion yeah, and, you know, I'm really annoyed by the conversation that surrounds a lot of this material uh, in the comics and in the films and whatever, which is just people just reacting without having any experience with the, the material itself. So how can you say the show is bad if you haven't watched it? Um, how can you say the show isn't as bad as everyone else says it is when you haven't finished it? So it's just so many just early reactions that 
you know, it's like, why don't we slow down? I know that we live in a world where everyone has to say what they think immediately, but why don't we just slow down, finish the show, and then let's have a dialogue about it. And Finn Jones, why don't you stop talking about it and just, (laughs) you know? Shut the fuck up. Yeah, seriously, don't defend it. Like, like when people, like, that's like, I don't, I think that's really never a good move. Like, when people criticize your work, like, you shouldn't get out there and be like, well, it's not for you, or you don't get it, or, like, it's because of this. It's like, no, just shut the fuck up. Like, just, just, just let, let the chips fall, you know, and, like, wait for defenders, you know, and then act again and do your best to be a good Iron Fist. Like, that's your job. Like, it's not your job to come out and defend your show. Like, it just makes you look like a dick, frankly. So, DC delayed Batman. Finally, they came to the conclusion that it wasn't going to make its 2018 release, and they really? pushed it back. Yeah, the movie with yeah. no director and no script, and maybe no leading man, isn't going to hit a 2018 release. Who would have thunk it? Crazy, crazy, I know. But they want to release another film in place of the Batman in 2018, and Stop. according to <laughs> according to Variety's Justin Kroll, they have a short list of five movies that they want to fast track to that. 2018 release no. so it's Su- the- suicide squad two three four five <laughs> <laughs> so their their choices are the following the flash dark universe which is the justice league dark movie uh suicide squad 2 gotham city sirens or green lantern corpse now there are a few problems with this green lantern corpse has a tentative release window of sometime in 2020 so, I don't know. I don't know who they have working for them, but I don't see how you can take a movie that's supposed to release two years ahead and push it out now. That that's that's crazy. Well, um, uh, uh, I shared this this morning, and and we sort of talked about talking about it on the next episode. But I'll go ahead and put it out there now. They put David S. Goyer supposedly on uh, uh, directing and. Uh, the Green Lantern Corps movie, and uh, I, man, that's that's who it is. He's gonna churn out a piece of garbage that, you know, will get them money, but it's not gonna be any good. Well, I get we can guarantee it won't be any good if it comes out in 2018. That's just absolutely insane. There are no, they don't have an actor attached. No movie, no yeah. movie on, on that list is going to be good if it comes out in 2018. Most of those movies will probably not be good anyway, but <laughs> the Flash like, lost its director. They, it doesn't have a director. They're they're working on a page one rewrite. Um, Suicide Squad two. I mean, Suicide Squad one just came out. I, like, there's no director for that film. I don't understand what DC it wasn't is even, thinking. Like, nobody wants a sequel. Like, no one wants a Suicide Squad two. I'm not going to go see a Suicide Squad two. I don't get it. Like honestly, like I'm I'm going to go see Wonder Woman because I think Wonder Woman like might might maybe have the smallest sliver of chance of being enjoyable. But also more so because I want to like I don't want Hollywood to be able to point at Wonder Woman flopping and being like this is why we don't have female leads and this is why we don't have female superheroes. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to go see that movie and I'm going to give it one last chance and then I'm going to see the Justice League because I want to talk about it on this show. And then that's I'm done. Like I'm not I'm not seeing any more DC movies. I'm not I'm not doing it. Like they're bad. I don't like them. They're not enjoyable. 
all, the only thing I get out of them is being able to shit talk them on this podcast. Like, I'm fucking over it. Like, I'm like, this is just nail in the coffin for me. Like, they don't give a fuck. I completely forgot that I'm going to have to go see this Zack Snyder steaming piece of garbage <laughs> for work. Oh, my God. You Fuck absolutely will. I don't even. I don't want to see it at all. Like I want to see Wonder Woman. I have fucking zero interest in Justice League. Sean, you're paying for it. <laughs> no, I will. I will. I absolutely will. If you want to go out on a date, if you want to make take this feud we've been having and just put that shit aside, all right? Squash that beef. Go to mandate. You know what? That's fine. I'll buy the popcorn. Sounds like a plan. It's a date. I'll see you there. I'll see you in hell. Because <laughs> that's what it'll be. Uh, so the only movie that DC has currently slated for a 2018 release is Aquaman. And that just got pushed back two months. So To December, yeah. Yeah, to December. So I, I just, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about DC like so much over the last few months. And it's almost always a negative thing. I really don't want to continue to do that. I would like to have positive things to say about them, to be honest, but they don't give me a reason to. So hopefully Wonder Woman is good and we can come on here and praise it. I don't know. Uh, so this is a little bit of a fun bit of news. Uh, there is going to be a Scott Pilgrim card game yeah. coming Hell soon. Yeah. It's going to be released this year from Renegade Games, and it's called Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Card Game. Ah, uh, so cute. the game's based on the comic book by Brian Lee O'Malley, which was kind of his, you know, big hit. Uh, and they released a statement, Renegade Games did, uh, about the game. And it's they basically said, renting your first apartment, falling in love, and getting a job are things everyone has gone through. Keith Baker has done an incredible job recreating these life choices in a deck-building format while incorporating the video game-style button-mashing combo moves that we loved in the graphic novel fight scenes. So I think that's pretty cool because it's kind of a different tabletop game than anything I've ever played. So I might check this out. I definitely want. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get a copy of it, and like I want to. Yeah. Do, uh, I want to do like a video about it for YouTube, where we'll just play it. Pete, Pete, we should. We should live stream it. Live stream uh, like a like a video of us playing uh, the game. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what I was thinking. Um, I mean, it seems like a lot of fun. Like deck building games are fun. Um, I've played a couple of them, uh, and it's just they're neat. You know, it's like it's a fun little kind of self contained thing, and you know, it's like there's a lot of variety just because like you know it's all different every time because like the cards are totally random. So it's I, I think it should be fun. I'm definitely excited to check it out. Yeah, and it's a good choice. Um, uh, you know. Scott Pilgrim's a, just a, a fun book overall, so it really has a lot of, you know, variety there also. Like, just a good just idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely play it, and uh, we'll see how it is when it releases. Uh, it doesn't currently have a release date, but it does have that price tag of $45. Which is, you know, is that, that's not too bad. Yeah, is that reasonable for a tabletop pretty, game? I have no pretty idea. Pretty standard tabletop game price. Yeah, I mean, like, tabletop games are, are usually very expensive. Especially if they're high quality. Um, so, like, if the cards look really nice and have good art and everything, you know, like, yeah, 45 bucks is pretty standard. Yeah. Okay. So, we just talked about hot shotting, right? When we're talking about DC. Let's talk about Sony wanting to hot shot a Venom movie. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. they've they've got a release date. They've got 
they know when this movie's coming out. It's coming out October 5th, 2018, which coincides with, I believe, the yeah, the 30th anniversary of the Venom character. Yeah. That was uh, the goal. That's the thing that's crazy to me, is like that they're like, we have a date, like where it's coming out on this day. It's like, oh shit, okay. I I actually am extremely disappointed in this bit of news because I'm a I'm a big Venom fan. I think he's a cool character. And you know, we don't know what's going to happen in Spider-Man Homecoming, but as of now, there has been no setup at all for the Venom character to appear in a movie. And, you know, we don't know if this is going to take place in the Marvel Universe or if this is going to be some sort of offshoot or standalone deal. You have no it'll, clue. Pro- it'll probably be an offshoot, I would imagine, because it's Sony. Like, even though they've got, they've given Marvel and Disney the rights to use uh, the Spider-Man character, I imagine that this movie would be its own thing. Kind of like Deadpool, even. Huh. That's interesting. I actually hadn't thought of that. Um, That's a good point, though. I I imagine you don't. They're not going to give you much of an origin story because I feel like they're probably just going to be like, you know, who needs an origin story? Just go in. It's just like just here's fucking venom. I don't know, man. I I think you're. I think there's something to that, but I wonder just because like I feel like the venom movie will like unquestionably do better if it's a part of the MCU. I, I agree with that. I, I mean, yeah, I think we we all agree with that, but... I, I just I mean, mean financially, too, right? So it's like, what, wouldn't that be... I mean, I guess Sony maybe still makes more money if it's a Sony independent thing, but... So, yeah, I mean, they probably make more money because less of it would be are partitioned off to Disney. Like, right, they don't have to yeah. split it. So, like, that's a bad idea, you know? It's like, making a solo Venom movie without the context of Spider-Man, like, is not going to work. And like, I don't know. I think I. I honestly think it could be okay if they do it right. Uh, I, even though there's X Men references in Deadpool, Deadpool feels like its own thing. But and Deadpool's that did really not, well. Deadpool's not an, a member of the X Men. Like Deadpool is I, intricately I, I connected to the X Men. And like, but I, I, I think Venom, even though he's directly connected to Spider Man, I think he could probably work as a solo film as its own thing for audiences. I mean, I guess, but it's like, I feel like it's so complicated because it's like what, I mean, like you could do like the Flash Thompson storyline or something, but it's like, there's so many things of just like the context of Venom is like so deeply rooted in the Marvel universe. Like the symbiote comes from Spider-Man, you know, like he's a Spider-Man, like he's Spider-Man's nemesis first. Then when he is an independent, like when he's a hero or anti-hero or whatever, like he's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, like, it's all these things that are so connected to the Marvel Universe that, like, what like what is Venom going to do in a solo Venom movie? Are we going to watch somebody randomly get the symbiote? Or are we going to jump into a story where he's already Venom? Like, who's he going to fight? Like, like Spider-Man villains in a world where Spider-Man doesn't exist? Are, are, are they going to be allowed to allude to the existence of Spider-Man? Like, it just seems so messy. Well, we don't have any of the details about what they'll actually do, but what the one thing we do know is that Topher Grace is coming back. No, don't even joke. I would be comfortable with a Venom solo movie if Venom were already introduced, but yeah, uh, everything that Pete said is exactly right. The characters are too related. Uh, you can't. I don't see how you can you know do that. It would be like having you know I don't know like a like a Lex Luthor movie, you know, without any any Superman or anything like that. Like it's just it just is strange. Or like a Green Goblin movie with no Spider Man. 
Or like Doctor Doom, where it's like Doctor Doom's a character that could absolutely carry a movie on his own, but like he like his context is so related to the Marvel universe. You know, uh, like I, I think Doctor Doom could carry a movie on his own too without heavy context. I'm 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 like without any connection to the Marvel universe, I don't think so. Possibly. I don't know. I'm mean, like maybe, but like it wouldn't be Doctor Doom then. And like that's going back to the thing Sean always says, where it's like yeah, like, you could do it, but it wouldn't be Doom. Like, it wouldn't be the Doom that we know and that we want to see. I mean, that's okay, though. It's an adaption, right? So, like, it I mean, depends good, on the quality. Yeah, exactly. It depends on the quality. I think, I guess, ultimately, that is subjective, right? Like, for me, personally, it's important that they retain at least somewhat the the context of the, the comic's uh, transitioning into the films like for example what they did with the mandarin i thought was an abomination not just because it didn't really work that well but because it was such a diversion from what uh took place in the comics i just didn't like that so similarly even if the movie is g- a good movie i probably won't enjoy seeing them change venom so much that they can do his origin without spider-man at all that doesn't work for me it's like you can't, you can't do his origin without Spider-Man. You know, it's like you do, you demonstrably change what Venom is right. by removing him from Spider-Man. And I like, if again, if it's a good movie, I guess like that's fine or whatever. But it's like it, it just take it, it like reeks of the early adaptions of superheroes and comic books and video games and stuff like that, where it's like we're going to use the name but strip every single thing that makes it what it is. And at that point, like, you're not making a Venom movie, so you're just using the Venom name. And, like, that does bother me because I, I like Venom and I want to see Venom in a Spider-Man movie. Or I want to see Venom get his own movie, like, after we know who he is. And, like, oh, we could get a cool anti-hero Venom movie set in the Marvel Universe and he could go, you know, like, deal with Marvel villains or whatever. Or he could, like, or they could do, like, a Maximum Carnage thing or whatever, like... I, I like Venom, and I want to see him in relation to Spider-Man. And maybe he will tie in with uh, Marvel stuff for all we know. I mean, I, I hope so. Yeah, and, and and we'll probably know more once Homecoming comes out, because it's entirely possible, though to me improbable, that they could do a Venom origin in that movie in some small capacity. But I doubt it, so we'll see. Uh, so, moving along, James Gunn says that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is definitely happening. I'm Guardians, so hyped that he's coming back. I'm so happy. That's great. That, I don't believe that that was announced. Oh, um, he didn't? Yeah. I thought him saying it was the confirmation he was doing. He, he could no. be a producer on it. So, so, Guardians 2 hasn't even come out yet. It's rap production and... You know, he's promoting some other movie called The Belko Experiment right now, but he's been talking a lot about Guardians 2 because, of course, it's it's coming out. It um, looks like a really good movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, <Sidebar. laughs> so this was his quote in an interview with Complex Magazine. He said, there will be a Guardians 3, that's for sure. We're trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do, really. That's all it is. I got to figure out where I want to be, what I want to spend the next three years of my life doing. You know, I'm going to make another big movie. Is it the Guardians or something else? I'm just going to figure it out over the next couple of weeks. So he doesn't know exactly what he wants to do. But, of course, Marvel will, you know, keep the Guardians train rolling with or without him. But for me personally, I would really love to see him stick with the franchise, at least through the third movie and finish the trilogy. Yeah, I agree. I I just I'm a huge fan of James Gunn. Like, I think he's one of my favorite directors. And uh, I think his style 
is really like it really lends itself to the Guardians of the Galaxy. And like he's done a great job, you know, with the first movie and by all I mean, the second movie looks good. So and it's tracking really well. So I'm excited. I you know, I'm definitely I definitely want to see I, I want to see him do other things like Belko, but I would also like to see him wrap up Guardians before he moves on. Kind of these uh, more indie directors, it's hard to keep them uh, stapled down to do a big franchise like this because it's a big commitment. It's a lot of work. And generally their passions lie elsewhere. They want to do other things. They want to try other things. So if he were to not come back for a third Guardians movie, I'd, I'd completely understand. I, I wouldn't hold it against him at all, no. But it's just, you know, I think he definitely seems to have a relationship with the characters and a, a fair amount of freedom. So, I mean, I, I would love to see him do another one, but I get it if he wants to move on. I'm, I was glad he even came back for a second one, you know? like It's also pretty hard to be able to say that you definitely want to come back for the third when you're promoting the second one, which isn't even out yet, and you've got a whole other movie um, that you just finished working on, which is probably more of a passion project for him. So I can definitely see him being conflicted right now, but I think once Guardians comes out, if the if the response is good and if the money is good, you know, and if he's happy with the, the final product, it's hard for me to think that a guy like that won't get his wheels turning about a third project and then feel the need to come back. You know, that's happened a lot uh, with these directors. So I think it, there's a good chance he'll be back. Yeah, I hope they just give him a little bit of time to breathe and, and decide what he really wants to do, you know? Because I definitely could see him coming back for another one. It's a matter of just like, like you said, like, are they going to give him the time to be like, you know what, I've got one more in me, you know? Before they, like, they got to move forward or whatever. Well, and think about the timeline of that, too. Like, that's going to have to be after Infinity War. Yeah, so. it's going to be a couple of years off. Who even knows where the MCU is going to be? That's at a that great time point. Too, actually, so. if he was going to do a Guardians three, he probably wouldn't have to do it for a while. Actually, because like they got to wrap two Avengers movies with that cast before they're going to do Volume three. That's at least two three years for him to work on another movie and see what he's feeling. Well, Kevin Feige has said that they don't have a plan that's locked in past twenty twenty. So there's so much room to play there. and We have no idea where Guardians 3 would fit in that mix, like you guys were saying. So, you know, I, I definitely think that he'll get his opportunity to think it over. Um, and, and, I mean, look, there's been a lot of talk about him uh, working with the Russo brothers um, on Avengers 3 as it relates to the Guardians, talking to the Guardians actors and making sure that they're comfortable and that the characters are well represented in Avengers 3. So he's actively engaged with this still you know so so he he cares about this and he wants it yeah to I, I think to, to phil's earlier point i feel like even if he didn't come back as the director he'll probably stick on as like a producer or something and and have like a, a creative role in the film i would imagine he's been you know he's been such a big part of getting these characters going like i, I think it would be strange to see him wholly walk away yeah uh, and, and in related news, because he has been doing a lot of press lately, he talked about the fact that Michael Rosenbaum, who uh, famously played Lex Luthor in Smallville, and Sylvester Stallone are both playing uh, very important characters in Guardians 2, and that their characters are related to each other in some way. Not necessarily familiar, familiarly, but in, in some some sense they're related. So that's pretty interesting because for me, I love Michael Rosenbaum. 
I, I loved him as Lex, and I've been wanting him to do something in this, you know, in either the Marvel or DC sandbox. So I'm excited for that. Guys, Sylvester Stallone as Adam Warlock. Holy cow. That would be amazing. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm all about Michael Rosenbaum as uh, Nova. So you think it? You think it'll be Nova? He's he's young enough, uh, and he's got you know young enough to match the other like protagonists of the Marvel universe. And Michael Rosenbaum, both based on his show Preacher on like TV Land or whatever, or no, what the hell is it? Impastor is what it's called. Um, uh, his uh, portrayal of the Flash in Justice League, and even Lex Luthor. He's got really good comedic timing. He's a great comedic actor. Um, I think he would have a really great, like, leading man wit about him. So I think I think, uh, I think uh, Nova would be a really good fit there. Very good. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's something to be excited about. It's interesting to me that they're still making these kinds of announcements when the movie opens on May 5th. That's how the movie industry is, though, man. It's like if you really like think about it, like the, in in movies, like they announce things two, three, four years in advance and give very strict timelines and are very open about like when things change. Like when you think about it, like um, like Kong, right? Kong Skull Island just came out, but Legendary announced the MonsterVerse back in 2014. Like when they got Godzilla, they're like, oh, we acquired the rights to all the other Toho characters and like King Kong wasn't involved in that. And then it was like another two years later, that's there. And then like Kayla and I were like, oh, I can't believe that they're going to make like they had you know, Rodan and Mothra. And it's like, yeah, but they also made an announcement about that in 2014. Huh. I didn't know that. I know. I didn't know that until recently. Like, and it's just like, that's kind of like, if you pay attention, you can learn about like what movies are on the docket pretty easily just because they're pretty forthcoming about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, they gotta, they gotta keep that hype train rolling. Yeah, but. yes. Yeah, for sure. I just mean that, you know, I'm sure that, uh, whatever, whatever scenes these, these guys had have already been filmed. And obviously, cause the movie's been done with production for some time. So it's interesting that th- there were no leaks about Michael Rosenbaum. Oh, being before in- this. Yeah, 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 that's true. I, yeah, I, I think it's just a, a case of, okay, well, now we gotta nail down the, three fans of Michael Rosenbaum and Sylvester Stallone and you know we gotta get those extra people in three fans (laughs) I I mean you know that's not to say he's a great actor but like what you know what I'm saying is they they gotta get those one or two extra people that might not go see it otherwise one or two now so it's less than three whatever I mean look (laughs) the guy has a fraction of a percent of a fan and what (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Just, just those couple of extra people, you know, <laughs> that they can get the money from. That. Oh man. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Chris Evans' Marvel contract ends after the next two Avengers movies. So. He's kind of been notoriously flip floppy about how long he wants to remain in the Marvel Universe and continue to do these movies. I do want to say real quick, in, in his defense, this is like this is like one of those like really 
big pieces of like miscirculated news where it's like originally he was like misquoted like years ago saying he wanted to write and direct more and then everybody extrapolated that to being like he doesn't want to be captain america anymore and like have still been saying that for years and like not like calling you out or anything like that is like a it's like accepted as fact that he has felt that way for years and i don't think that's the case whereas this update like definitely makes it seem that way so i just wanted to offer that context okay so he he did a uh, a sort of sit down interview deal with Esquire, and um, I actually believe that this this piece of news is more in line with kind of the hyperbole sort of news that we typically get because this quote that I'm about to read out from the Esquire profile is what people are basing uh, their their current fever about Chris Evans not returning. Um, but so let me just read this. Setting, settling in on the couch, he groans. Evans explains that he's hurting all over because he just started his workout routine the day before to get in shape for the next two Captain America films. The movies will be shot. It says Captain America, but I'm assuming it means, you know, Avengers. Films where he will be playing Captain America. Exactly. The movies will be shot back to back beginning in April. After that, no more red, white, and blue costume for the 35-year-old. He will have fulfilled his contract. Now, that's... The Esquire profile saying this. That doesn't mean that that's what Chris Evans said. They're only saying that he will have fulfilled his contract, which is a fact. But the idea that there will be no more red and white blue costume for the 35-year-old is not true. Because yeah. he could easily resign. So, yeah, it's editorializing. You know, that's, exactly. That's not... I was going to say, yeah, I think if you've been paying attention, like, you probably saw this coming to some degree because like rdj is getting up there like he'll be he's 50 now or close to it yeah i think he's yeah late 40s yeah so like i mean it's hard being in those movies like i can't imagine you know a 50 year old man's gonna want to you know gonna have many more iron man movies in him he's 51 by the way I think uh, I can't imagine a sixty-year-old man is going to have. <laughs> I think all the original Avengers. Movies. I think all the original Avengers actors are done after Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of. I think that's part of the uncertainty of where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to go after Infinity War. I, hopefully, by then we'll see a Black Widow movie. But I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm not. I don't know. I don't. I don't think we'll I'm see not, everyone go. I think we're gonna. I think we're going to replace them one at a time. I don't think we're going to have, like, a mass... Like, I don't think they're going to just, like, reset the universe or recast everyone. I think, like, it's... If Evans is done, we'll get a new Cap. Or or we'll see, like... We'll see Sam Wilson become Cap for a while. Or... or and then Bucky. maybe bring back yeah. another Steve Rogers eventually. Oh, well, I think yeah. they're going to... Yeah, I think all those characters are just going to be gone. Like, I don't think... I, I, I mean, they could recast, but it seems like the direction they're going is that uh, when they're gone, they've got the next lineup ready maybe that's why they're making a doctor strange movie like people are saying doctor strange is gonna be the leader of the next set of avengers and shit like they're they want him to be the rdj of this 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 crew i mean i can i can see that but i also i have a hard time thinking that they're going to write out the characters that they built the franchise on personally well, I feel like the uh, Infinity War is going to be their sunset. Yeah, not and not necessarily writing them out, but you know, giving the actors a chance to send their characters off, and then you know, 
giving Sebastian Stan the shield and, you know, making the Bucky cap and then, you know, maybe the Falcon. I think those things are possible too, but it's like, I, I, I wonder if Marvel's going to take that gamble though, right? Because it's like, will people still go see Captain America movies when it's not Steve Rogers and it's instead Sam Wilson? Like, maybe, but like, maybe not. And I, I think it's, it's way safer for them to still try to bring these other B, C list characters up to the forefront and let the A tier like kind of sit in the back for a bit. But even so, like, I don't, I don't see them really like retiring Iron Man or Captain America. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what's happening now though, is like, we are done with Captain America and Iron movies for the foreseeable future. Uh, Iron Man 3 was the last Iron Man movie. Uh, Civil War was the last Cap movie. Uh, they're they're kind of kind of already staggering this out. Yeah, but like that doesn't really mean anything because we don't know what their plans are for Phase Three. You know, for, like, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that I think we're going to get an Iron Man Four or another Cat movie right away or anything like that. I think it would be smart to focus on some of these other characters. But when it is time for them to do the next Avengers movie or the next whatever big team up thing, I I have a hard time thinking that Tony Stark and Steve Rogers are not going to be there. And they whether or not that's cameo. Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans is not the same thing. A friend of mine pointed out uh, RDJ might take a sort of backseat Nick Fury role. That could happen too. Sort of, I guess sort of like he is in uh, Spider-Man. Also, it's worth noting that like Robert Downey Jr. could probably conceivably play Iron Man for longer than most people because like it does take conditioning and everything because like he needs to look cut, but like the Iron Man scenes are mostly CGI, and like that's you know like that's a thing that they could kind of increasingly lean on as he gets older. Like it, I'm not saying he's going to be Iron Man forever, but it's different for him than it is Chris Evans to get ready. Right, for one like of these. Chris Evans needs to be fucking jacked and work out. Chris Evans is also 35. Like he could be Cap for five more years, and it would not be that big a deal. You know, well, five like, more years is what on track for the the uh, Infinity War, right? Uh, Infinity War Part One comes out next year, and then it'll oh be my over. god, does it really? Yeah, it'll be over. Oh. The, it's over the next year. Good lord. Um. So yeah, no, I mean, he could conceivably d- be done as early as like 2019, 20, 2020, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, I, I for one, wouldn't like to see all these characters go away. Uh, but I also think that it would be cool to bring on some new faces and kind of let the um, original group maybe fade or appear less or take on different roles like Robert Downey Jr. as an advisor who puts the suit on when things get really bad. Yeah, um, that could be cool. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's milk a couple decades out of that Spider-Man kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So now we're going to jump into the main topic, which is politics. Uh, I thought it would be a lot of fun for us to have this conversation drunk, but we do have some hang- hungover pals here uh, who might be able to add some interesting commentary to this topic. Uh, we're going to talk about politics and comics. Um, a lot of comics are very political. Uh, comic books themselves are you know, based around expression, just like all the other arts. And I thought... In, in speaking with what's been happening kind of with Donald Trump and how he recently cut funding for the arts and all the sort of endowments that have, um, you know, been given to the arts, uh, 
I thought it'd be interesting to have a conversation about how politics, um, you know, are affected in comics and how comics speak to us as readers using characters from the books to make political statements. So, well, we know uh, outright that he's ruining Iron Fist. Donald Trump is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's like probably the biggest example of how politics have affected comics lately. Uh, is is definitely just making Iron Fist totally unwatchable. <laughs> yeah. Damn that Donald Trump. Um, but it also you couldn't just let me have one thing, Donald. <laughs> I'll I'll kind of start the conversation off by talking about my favorite political comic that I reference all the time, which is Civil War. Um, I probably wouldn't be as big a fan of comics as I am if it weren't for Civil War. Uh, and it gets a lot of flack now for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things at that time that had people so engrossed in the book was the fact that it was using characters like Captain America and Iron Man to represent real issues in the world and real ideological stances and political stances um, and take hot-button issues and use these characters to kind of talk about them. And for me, at the time, being a 15-, 16-year-old kid, I wasn't as aware of what was going on in the world as I am, say, now. And so... These characters dealing with these issues actually allowed me to sort of get these views about what was happening in the world without having to watch, you know, CNN and at the time feeling terribly bored by all of that. Um, but but getting to see that same kind of um, those same kind of issues addressed in comics for me was huge. And it caused me to, to open my mind. It caused me to start going on forums and seeing what other people had to say about what was happening in Civil War. Uh, and all the different political opinions that people had that I had never been exposed to at that time. So in, in a lot of ways, Civil War opened up my mind to the, the world of politics in America and all the things that happened here. And so for me personally, um, politics have a big place in comics. And you're not going to stop creators from talking about these things, but I think it's important for them to talk about these things because comics reflect our world, or at least should, you know, on some level. And you can't talk about our world without talking about political issues. And also, um, if we look like historically, um, superheroes in general were created by mostly uh, by predominantly Jewish uh, writers and, and, and artists because of their... Um, because of the persecution in um, in Eastern Europe and um, the rise of, of Hitler and fascist organizations there, um, superheroes in general were a reaction to that. Um, just historically, so um, I did just want to like preface that as well that you know superheroes have that origin of being the symbol of hope for a disparate people. Absolutely. Well, and I think like, especially um, to jump off that point before I take it back to what I wanted to say, uh, like a great example of like, you know, comics being political is like Captain America. Number one was on shelves a year before the America, before America was involved in world war two, you know, and, like that was absolutely a political statement um, being made by timely comics. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was Simon and Kirby, right? Yes. Sure was. And um, and just a little fun anecdote about that, too, um, if you guys didn't know. Uh, Mayor LaGuardia at the time, was he was like a big fan of comics. And um, 
he like they were like getting people like th- sending death threats and like hate mail and all this anti-Semitic shit. People like hanging out outside of the offices and LaGuardia gave them a call and like set up a police uh, route there to have like a cop at- outside the building at all times to make sure nobody was harassing them because he was like, hey, like the mayor of the mayor's office has your back. We like what you're doing down there. Timely Comics. With Captain oh, America shit, that's number cool. One. He was like, I want to talk to the editor of Captain America number one. He was like a comics fan. He used to go on the radio and read comics to kids who couldn't afford to buy comics. What? Really? Yeah. Huh. That's cool. I yeah, didn't right? Know. I was like, that's really cool. But they could afford radios. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, fun fact, I guess. Um, well, it's like the late 30s and early 40s were like extremely political in comics. The early Superman comics were like super socialist about him beating up corrupt cops and politicians and CEOs and wife beaters and this was two Jewish kids who like just saw the inequality from the depression. And this is the kind of stuff that was coming from then. But then, you know, fast forward to the war itself where art couldn't be art and it had to be a means of selling war bonds. They weren't hyper political anymore. They were propaganda. Right. And but even so, I mean, like, that isn't a case where politics right. and comics are unquestionably connected. Mm-hmm. You know? Sh- sure, but it's like a different kind. It's not political sure. in terms of expression. It's political for propaganda purposes. Absolutely. But that's that's even more political. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Pete, you had a point? Um, yeah, I wanted to respond to your initial point um, where it's just like, I guess, to take a, a pot shot at the idea of anyone who thinks that, that comics or art in general shouldn't be political keep your politics out of my comics or keep your politics out of my, you know, whatever. It's like, that's, that's a really stupid opinion. Uh, (laughs) I I just want to put that out there. Like saying that, that any writer shouldn't write about something that is interesting to them or shouldn't use art to make a statement about things that are real is regressive and fucking immature, frankly. Like if you just want to read about, you know, like, oh, I just want to read about Superman punching another dinosaur or whatever. I don't want to have to, like, think about anything. It's like, that's, like, that's a you problem, you know? Like, let let someone, like, if you really, like, like the, these characters, these artists or these writers, like, give them a chance to try and, you know, change your mind or, or like, or at least learn how they feel about the world. Whether or not you change your mind, it's valuable. It's like, to Sean's point, to just get your mind open to other opinions, you know? And it's a lot easier to, to grapple with some of these headier concepts when you're looking at them through the lens of things that are comfortable and familiar to you. And also that you have stake in, you know, it's like you as a 16 year old kid, maybe you don't understand the, the real political discu- discussion about what's going on in Civil War. But you can recognize I care about Iron Man and Captain America and they have two differing ideologies. And I don't in in do I agree with one or the other? Do I see the good and bad in both of them? You know, like, and asking you to ask those deeper questions with characters you have a relationship with is very valuable to not only just to younger people, but just to anyone who is like interested in becoming politically motivated, but doesn't know where to start or feels overwhelmed or, or uh, defeated, you know? I look when Pete just flat out just says, you're stupid to the listener. I don't disagree. I just like when he's blunt. Yeah, I mean, I don't say it often. Like I'm, all, like I just said, I, I I believe in opinions. Like, but if your opinion is that you don't want to think about anything serious, like you're the like you're part of the problem. You know, like. Well, I I don't know that that's necessarily what a person who feels that way is saying. They're saying that they engage with this kind of um, 
entertainment just to be entertained and that they don't want the the sources of their entertainment to be politicized because it causes them to have to engage with things that they probably engage with in their regular life when they're looking at comics for a, a break well then i mean then you can't like because because that's not fair because then you know that's not fair to the creators you know what you, you're gonna write a story just because one like a person doesn't want to see this in their in in their entertainment like th- that's not up to you it's up to what the creator of that piece of art wants and and how many you know how many comics you know were lobotomized when the comics code was yeah. established you know and politics weren't allowed to be involved and you know the stuff wasn't interesting it stifles creativity like yeah of course yeah the- with censorship comes expression now, and you got some real, real good stuff that was pushing the envelope around that time. Spider-Man books with uh, Harry Osborn were—they were really pushing the ele- uh, the envelope at the time. Um, of course, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' legendary Green Arrow, Green Lantern run, where his ward is a junkie. So, with with oppression of art, does come burgeoning expression because people are backed into a corner and are forced to still express these things yeah that's a good point so what are some of your favorite um political comics that you guys have read if if any that you can think of more recently prez came out in 2015 and that was awesome and it's super surreal because it was like uh, the commentary on like current society with with social media's effect on elections and stuff, um, and kind of just the idea of electing a viral star. Like in that book, they they elect someone that becomes a viral star through social media. In real life, we elected someone that is literally a reality television star. Um, it's super surreal to read that, but it's a high quality book. It's by Ben Gibson. Um, it died a premature death, but I mean, people should go read that now because it's still fairly relevant. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I know I've read recently, um, I, I brought it up, but March by, um, John Lewis, which is a really, really powerful book, really powerful, um, uh, autobiography and look at, um, President Obama's, it, it 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 sort of compares President Obama and what John Lewis is experiencing in the present versus the past, and sort of using those two um, in tandem to create a really enveloping story. Um, and also, I brought it up as well, Material by L. S. Cott, um, where he tackles post traumatic stress disorder with um, an Iraqi soldier who comes back to his uh his wife who can't like connect with him on a on any emotional level um a new black panther movement with kids who end up trying to um sort of well they they, they try to fight a system uh, a police system in chicago to show how corrupt it is to show um the inequalities of uh urban life um so those are just some like the the recent books that i've read cool um for me i mean obviously i already 
mentioned uh, Civil War. That's a that's a huge one. Um, I like that the current Captain America comic, which I know we you know we brought up many times. I actually enjoy the fact that it's up. It's from another perspective. Like typically, when you read comic books, um, especially something about Captain America, it's very much here's a sentinel of liberty. Here's a great guy. Here's like you know, and it, and it's in defense of liberty and freedom. I like the fact that this current Captain America run is the opposite because it's still political, but it's it's obvious that he's in the wrong. But you still get to see that perspective. And I'm, I always like to hear what people from other perspectives have to say, even if I don't agree with it. And so that's one of the things that I get from this book that I really enjoy. Uh, and, and almost in a weird way, getting to see how people who think this way, who think like uh, Hydra Cap thinks, still have elements of humanity to them. Because there are moments when he's actually a genuinely good person. And it's weird to see that juxtaposed with his, you know, hatred for you know, American ideology and his desire to see Hydra and the Red Skull rise to prominence. And so it's just, it's just very interesting in that way. Um, and then Ed Brubaker's Captain America run is, is another one being very much, uh, politically driven, uh, in, in a lot of different ways that that book is, is, is tremendous in that regard. I, I was actually going to bring up, uh, the current Captain America as well. Uh, not because I'm reading it, but because I I do think the uh, the discourse that's happening because of it, whether uh, you know hyped or not, is uh, hyped or anti-hyped. I guess is really interesting. Um, you know, should we be able to read uh, a comic where uh, a character created by you know Jewish men turns into a Nazi, uh, but also you know those Jewish men did that. A year after they created it, like I mean, you know, it's it's hard to to see that and be, I guess, you know, blind to it. Um, but also, uh, and I think I think I showed you guys this article. Um, there, there's one one piece of uh, discourse that says like, you know, Nick Spencer's idea was to take the people who were complaining that Sam Wilson was uh, or is Captain America uh, to give those people Steve Rogers back, you know, but uh, so Nick Spencer's plan was to give them an alternate evil Steve Rogers to the effect of, well, you wanted Steve Rogers back, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, I, and it's just, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this whole discourse is, is really, really interesting. I, I was just, just going to add, and I think uh, I think it's important. Totally agree. And I want to stay on that, but I want to give Marco the opportunity to say what he was going to say. I was just going to say, um, another book we've all read, Omega Men, we can yeah. consider to be, yeah. you know, yeah. that was a really great story um, by Tom King, who we've spoken about, you know, ad nauseum at this point but we're going to be doing that episode on tom king so i don't know if you guys want to talk about yeah, it I now think, you or... know we've, we've talked about a mega man a little bit but i think if just if you haven't i mean it's just it's just a really good story about war and like not specifically about war like in a in a literal kind of like visceral physical kind of sense like it's not about like combat as much as it is about the the politics of war yeah, and the, like well, it's about ideology 
Yeah, right. Well, and the ideology specifically of war, you know? Because you have uh, hyper-oppressive theology and then the, the, the revolutionaries that that creates and the moral ambigu- ambigu- ambiguity of that from, like, uh, neither side is really right. And it's fucking great. Yeah, we'll definitely go into great detail about it when we do our Tom King episode. Well, more great, more great detail about it. Greater detail. And and to make a quick point about Omega Man, the reason why, well, one of the reasons why I appreciated that book so much is because it doesn't give you a clear cut answer, and the story isn't told in a way that that tells you this is how you should think. Yeah, like um, no one's the good guy. Yeah, I I recently read an issue of Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel thirteen. Um, I, I think this book is tremendous, but this issue I, I wanted to highlight it because it is an issue that's purely about Miss Marvel um, helping a woman get elected in her hometown um, because the other two candidates aren't particularly good. One is a clearly evil person; he's like tied into some type of you know, Hydra. Some yeah, some Hydra analog <laughs> basically, um, and the other guy is just a corrupt guy, right? And so they find this woman who's like a little known politician, but she has good values. And uh, Miss Marvel, the the whole rest of the issue is just Miss Marvel spending her entire day um, with her friends trying to get people to vote for this person, and then that woman ends up winning the election, and that's the end of the story, and. It, you know, it's a fine story. It's just that I prefer my comics that are politically bent to present a more complex uh, story and to be a little more – to have a little more to chew on. I don't – I didn't like the fact that it was just very straightforward like, oh, we're just going to elect this woman because we just feel like it and that's – you know. Um, and so – Well, and that's, and that's yeah. certainly one, one cool thing about comics is we can have the Omega Men – which is deeply layered and you know deeply um, complicated. It's nuanced and nuanced, and Miss Marvel, where it's you know hitting you with a baseball bat in the face, you know, because I mean it's about a kid. Yeah, and I think I think that fits right because that's a story like Omega Man is a story written by a man who experienced war about the ideologies of war, and Miss Marvel is a story about an idealistic kid trying to do something idealistic you know and like those should be different and it's cool they can both exist that's what's so great about comics you know for sure um actually speaking of speaking of like getting a different perspective on um political conversations uh a book i wanted to bring up is um i i really appreciate the way that the walking dead uh talks about politics because it's in a like a post-societal world but yeah. like political systems still exist my favorite you know? my favorite stories are ones uh my favorite political stories are ones where we kill everybody <laughs> <laughs> um no but like specifically like there's Robert Kirkman does a really good job of specifically using Rick, but also some of the antagonists to like look at different leadership styles and different forms of government, you know, and like how like the idea that like Rick's group is generally run as like a republic where it's like there are like people who are considered to be the most qualified and they have a say in how everyone is led. Right. And like the the times where. Like, it's like, it, it very much reminds me of, like, 
like the Roman society of like when shit really gets real, then Rick becomes a dictator and takes over and acts unilaterally, right? And then will eventually restore the Republic, right? And like I think it's interesting to I guess like make the case that like not necessarily politics, right, or like the political system, but like bodies of government and the way in which we lead and stuff like that are kind of intrinsic to humanity and not just the society that we live in? Or is it just because those people are holding on to the society that we live in now? Well, I think that's a compelling question to ask. Uh, I think I think that both of those things are accurate. I think that human beings, you know, I mean, it's obviously it's tough to say this because we've had civilized society for so long. But uh, from my perspective, I think human beings are naturally inclined to find order and to create, you know, systems of order that inform societies on how to behave and interact with each other. And so I think The Walking Dead on some level is addressing that by saying, hey, this is, you know, even though this is, you know, the end of the world or the apocalypse or whatever, people still have to be civilized. And when you don't have that, you I mean, on the show, for example, there are plenty of instances where there are these lawless groups of people who don't give a shit and just eat humans and kill people for no reason and all that kind of stuff and it's horrible right um but it's animalistic exactly and that's what you kind of devolve into when you don't have a system in place for how to how to behave how to interact with other humans but you know what book uh touches on a society that perhaps has too much order and is probably my favorite book that deals with political subjects v for vendetta Ah uh, yes, I was yeah. I was gonna bring V for Vendetta up too, because as a society that is uh, that I mean, it's commentary on on eighties England under Thatcher. It's borderline fascist. That's too much order, and you get you get uh, V and trying to basically dismantle this oppressive regime. Yeah, and militarizing other people for those means. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's an example of a comic book that is highly political and became extremely successful uh, because it spoke to a people at a particular time. And I mean, it's, it still resonates in a lot of ways. And I love the way that comics can be that, you know, um, that they can come out at a particular time and kind of uh, stand for something and that people can use it as like, okay – this resonates with me. This is how I feel, and it's sort of—it's almost energizing when you read something that resonates with you that much, uh, especially when it comes to making political statements. And I and I love that. I think in that, in I think in the spe- the specific case of V too, it's so interesting because like the point that you made earlier, Sean, where it's like it's cool to get different perspectives, and that's like something that's great about comics. It's like it's crazy that V for Vendetta is so specifically about something that is totally not relevant to us at all. But can still speak. No, to I think us, it's you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's transcendent. Even though it has a deal with with Thatcher, I mean, in the United States, it feels more pertinent than ever with like the Trump election and the type of people who are getting a lot of radio play. Like they sound like the people in V for Vendetta. Like even though this is a time capsule of a book, as long as there's like some kind of borderline fascist oppressive oppressive uh, uh, government, it's got to resonate with whoever reads it yeah absolutely uh so i want to tie the conversation back into what kale was saying earlier because i think that i think that the way that marvel has been uh putting out a lot of politically bent certainly 
left wing in comics uh, lately has you know uh, affected a lot of people in different ways. And we've had the conversation before about how the Hydra Cap character um, has been controversial to say the least. Um, but the biggest issue that I think I have with the way that people have reacted to it is some of the more extreme reactions like book burning and threatening Nick Spencer's life and sort of those kind of things. People being very, very, very upset over this, you know, like I said earlier, Sentinel of Liberty being taken and turned into an evil, you know, Nazi, basically. Uh, and for me, it's scary because as somebody who wants to write these things and wants to, you know, express myself through comics, it's scary that I could do something that would cause people to want me to die or to burn my book. And I think that the way that we're reacting to comics that are political, whether you're in the book burning crowd or the crowd that says, I'm not going to read Marvel anymore because I'm tired of them making political statements. I think it's really interesting how us as fans are reacting to all this stuff. Um, Sean, uh, I just want to say that um, like those people who react like that are, at least for me, are being childish. Um, that's my last point before I have to go. <laughs> uh had to get my last word in so uh, i'll see you guys later i have to go to staten island bye all right Catch take you care week, man. bud gross say hi to pete's best friend uh dan slot oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, i'll give him a high five tell him yeah pete's your biggest fan he wants your autograph and he wants you to make sure you you know destroy um peter and mary jane's relationship yeah tell him to come on definitely. the show <laughs> all right see you guys take care i uh i've, I've talked to this about I've talked about this with you guys off the mic. Um, I, I honestly just, I think it's like, on some level, I think it has to do with just like comic book readers in general. Like you said earlier, I think off the mic, like comic book readers are a little entitled. Um, and by a little entitled, I mean a lot entitled. Um, oh, this was... company included, because we want exactly what we want. And unless we don't want that, you know? So like, not trying to like say we're above any, oh, we're all like that. Did you have something to say, Kyo? Oh, sorry. I wasn't raising my hand to say something. I was looking at my nails. But this was also episode two of our show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fan um, entitlement, I mean. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I think I think we live in an, in an outrage culture. You know, I think, I think people are constantly looking for something to be upset about. They're constantly looking for something to be up in arms about. And I think that's people on both sides. Like, I don't think that's like a left or a right issue. I think like, you know, like liberals want everything to be an issue of something. Conservatives want it to be another thing. Right. And for, for right, for like the Marvel example, we have all these people who are railing against, oh, like I'm sick of all these, you know, PC fucking libtard comics. And then the other side, you have the people who are flipping out about, about Captain America being a Nazi. Right. So it's like, I think it's really, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in this society because everyone wants to be mad about something. They want to have outrage. They want to have a hashtag they can rail behind or whatever. And like, no matter what you do, you're going to piss off someone. And I think like we've seen plenty examples of like people trying to do something in a way that's tasteful and it pissing off the people that they were trying to pander to more or less. So it's like I I really don't know what the answer is at this point, you know? People who uh, get mad about Marvel's direction, whether or not the quality of the books has any bearing on it, they like screaming the word SJW. Yeah, SJW is a real popular one. Guys, I heard a great joke. Uh, 
that I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. Uh, oh my god, I, I know this joke. It was. It. <laughs> it was. Uh, why would you, like? There's so many SJWs, you know, social social justice warriors. Why wouldn't so? Why wouldn't you pick a different class, like a social justice mage? <laughs> Or a social, social justice, justice wizard. Assassin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a good. social justice red mage. Um, yeah, and, like, that's that's my thing, man, is, like, I think as long as, like, we're living in this fucking, like, hyper, everyone's an extreme on one thing or the other, and if you disagree with me, you're a fucking monster or whatever, like, that's how it's always going to be. You, you, know? you, you like, act like that hasn't... Like, people always have this kind of novel notion that this is something that's new. But the thing is, like, this is literally how it's always fucking been. Like... No, yeah, you're right. Like, it, like Kirby used to beat people up in hotel lobbies because they came to fight him about Captain America. Like. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean to say that it's like that we... Okay, I guess allow me to add an addendum. You're a fucking I monster! I am a fucking monster. That's true. Um, I, I, it's not that I think that it's like, oh, that's how things are now and they've never been that way. But I think that we're more aware of that division now because like we have every single person has a platform to advertise how they feel all the time and attack people that disagree with them. And I think like, at least when I was growing up that like old classic notion of like, you don't discuss politics or religion or whatever was like still kind of. Like, I, I remember existing in a world that felt that way, and it doesn't feel that way anymore. I feel like we're always talking about this stuff all the time, and that's good, but the way we talk about it with each other is, has not evolved and is not helpful. It's very divisive. Man, as long as there's people who think, like, as long as people agree with people like Alex Jones and Milo and those people, like, how can there be a civilized discussion? <laughs> well, I'm going to say this. Though, like those people notwithstanding, it's people uh, who are, you know, quote unquote leftists or liberals or whatever. You know, a lot of those people, they're they're the ones that have these outrageous reactions. You look at the book burnings to me, you, what think about what book burning has signified throughout history. Right. And then you have people who are upset because a Jewish character or a character created by Jewish people was turned into a Nazi. And so what do they go, what do they go and do? They go and do exactly what Nazis did. Yeah. They burn books. How insane is that? Yep. And then also use their money to go buy those books so they could burn it. Like didn't even, didn't even, didn't even consider to open the book and, and read it for themselves and figure out what it was about. They read it. They read it a, a headline for an article on some website that just wanted to get clicks and they didn't they, they they went out and bought the book spent money on it spent four dollars on it just to burn it how does that make any sense well i mean ensure that it was going to get another fucking run too yeah <laughs> of course and i and i applaud marvel 100 percent for not pumping their brakes on this story because they easily could have they easily could have said to nick spencer listen you need to wrap this shit up because we don't we can't handle this heat but they kept going and they've gone even further and i appreciate that very much because at the end of the day i think that all of these things are valid if you hate the book you're fine like it's fine to hate the book you don't have to like it but to burn it or to say that it shouldn't exist because you disagree with something that happens in comics all the time every one of our favorite heroes at some point has been a villain that's just what happens so to to Captain America was also a Nazi before this. Exactly. Like, this isn't even new. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a new thing. Red Skull took over Captain America's body 
at some point. And was like run- in the fir- in the first year of publication. Yeah. Like- and they've done it many times since. It's just for some reason now people have decided, oh, uh, you know, people who don't even read comics at all have decided that they're pissed and they want, they, you know, they want to, you know, make a point. It's like I said, man, outrage culture. Like it's an outrage culture. And, it, and it's like there are people who don't read comic books but are jumping on that bandwagon of like, like, because again, because it fits their narrative, right? Of like, and again, like, come on, like, I would really hope I'm not coming off the wrong way, but I'm going to give this like qualification because like again like i'm a fucking liberal guy like i am a liberal person for the most part but these are the kind of people that make me fucking embarrassed to associate with that like political leaning because it's like you don't read comics but it fits your narrative of oh this character created by jewish creators is is a nazi and i can fucking flip out about that and i can rail against marvel and call them and call nick spencer a racist and a nazi and fucking send death threats to him and shit and it's like that's fucking ridiculous it's like they're comic books it's comics man like i love comics i love comics man but it's a comic book you should never fucking threaten someone's life over comics man it's like it's it's or politics for that matter like shit like, I don't know, man. It's just like, it's, it's, it's really getting out of hand in my mind. It's a little untenable the way that we talk to each other. And the fact that, like you said, like Nick Spencer wanted to write a story and he got death threats. I just gotta say, Pete, you sound pretty triggered by people that are triggered. Oh, uh. yeah. <laughs> I am, dude. Like, it's true. Like, I am outraged by outrage culture. Yeah. It's true. It's like, it's just delicious like, irony. I just, it is. It is. And I'm fully aware of it. Whatever. Rail me. Make fun of me. It's fine. <laughs> it's how I feel. You know, you know what? Like, You're entitled to feel how you feel. Everyone is. I just wish I just wish that we could express ourselves in a way that's more respectful. Right. And that's what it boils down to. Because at the end of the day, the people who are upset about this don't realize that we need this. You know, the arts have a great way of informing culture about issues. You know, like I was saying earlier, I wouldn't have thought about what was happening in America circa 2006 if it wasn't for Civil War. I just wasn't in that, you know, state of mind. And it helped me. If Marvel wasn't allowed to publish that book and make it political, then I'd be a different person. Uh, so, so you have to have these kinds of books just because you disagree with you know, the political leaning of the main character or whatever, you know, whatever, uh, you know, headline grabbing change they make to, to someone you think you like, uh, that doesn't give you the right to say that it shouldn't exist. And if you had the power to make it so that it didn't exist, we'd be screwed. So it, it, it's very much it requires people to take their emotions out of the game a little bit, approach something with a, a level of calm. That allows you to just appreciate it or not for exactly what it is and leave everything else outside of it. Uh, and that's something that we're not willing to do much anymore. I get super exhausted by arguing about comic book stuff. I mean, politics is one thing. Politics affects our everyday discourse in life. But I remember last June when the five of us went to Wizard World in, in Philly, and, a, and two big subjects were Captain America being a Nazi and the controversy about Barbara Gordon in the Killing Joke movie. And it's just exhausting talking about this stuff because it's all just... Like, I, I, I guess Pete's right in the outrage, outrage culture aspect, but like, doesn't it get exhausting being upset and angry about everything? 
Apparently that's not. That's what I'm saying. And at the, at the, like, you should never censor art. At the very least, if it's a book, you could put a disclosure on it saying that this might uh, upset some people, right? Like, that's fine. A disclosure is a good thing if if you think it's necessary. But by and large, art's art. I agree. And and unfortunately, that reaction that people had to um, to the Hydra cap, it's in line, in my opinion, with kind of what Donald Trump has done, which is cut, you know, all these uh, endowments for the arts, because you're basic when you do something like that, you're saying this doesn't have the right to exist. You're saying that this piece of art or it doesn't matter if it doesn't. Exist. Right. This piece of art, this this, you know, Nick's in this case, Nick Spencer, but any creators, um opinion is irrelevant what message they're trying to send is irrelevant i don't care and it should be gone and well hey donald trump agrees with you so if that's your opinion think about where that places you in history and who that aligns you with you know it's 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 healthier for you it's better for you and it's better for the world if you take things for what they are and if it sucks then it sucks you know maybe like kale you don't like the 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 captain america book right Right. I've never read it. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But you were you were on the side of people who didn't think it was a good idea, right? I'm wary. I'm wary about it. Yeah, also, I I can say that. Yeah. Okay. So I was I was too, but for different reasons. Because I was like, this seems like a this seems like a ploy. That was why I didn't like it. I mean, you yeah. Know? But it's my, like I, I will say, like publicly, I did rail it. So I don't. I want to throw myself in that camp too. But you guys ultimately think it should exist. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Ever right. Yeah. Pete, does Dan Slott deserve to create a world where Spider-Man and Mary Jane are <laughs> with one another? He sure does, and I deserve the right to say that I fucking hate him. Be outraged by it? <laughs> now, hold on. <laughs> hate, hate him or hate the fact that Peter and MJ can't be together? Because that's that's also you know what so- it really is it's it's misplaced rage towards Dan Slott. It's like it's like you know how like in one of those broken homes where it's like. Your parents get divorced, and then, like your mom and dad like meet someone new or whatever, and like you hate that person because like you're the reason they can't be together. It's not really their fault, you know. It's not really Dan Slot that's the problem. It's Joe Caseda. <laughs> <laughs> now that one I can give you. Outrage culture at its finest. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in jest here, right? And it's like obviously I'm not saying that people have no right to be upset about things or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. No, it's not. It's not the same thing. There's a difference between disagreeing or not liking something and like bitching about it on the internet and going out and buying the book and burning it because you think it shouldn't exist. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like that's different because something flies in the face of your ideology or whatever and you think it's wrong and shouldn't exist is different than saying, I don't like something. You know, I don't like the creative decisions that Dan Slott's making. I don't think that. But, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have the right to tell whatever fucking Spider-Man stories he wants to write. Marvel's paying him. He's the guy who gets to write the books. But I have a podcast where I get to bitch about comics. So I'm going <laughs> to complain about him. That's my right. And that said, we did kind of talk about this uh, before the show. Like, both Nick Spencer and Dan Slott have, re- have become notorious for their sh- sort of shitty attitudes and shitty responses toward fans who, I mean are voicing their discontent albeit you know through death threats sometimes um, <laughs> that's a huge qualification to make though yeah people. and i'm sure cer- i'm certainly not saying that those people are right and they're not right 
you know, Slot and Spencer aren't right to, uh, uh, you know, be belligerent toward those people. But some, you know, some interaction toward fans and toward the discussion, both Slot and Spencer have notoriously been sort of iffy about. You you may well be right about that, but at the end of the day, we're talking about two people who, you know, for for Slot at least far longer than Spencer have been the target of vicious vicious um, verbal attacks. And, you know, it's easy for any one of us to say, oh, well, you should take it easy, you know, this or that. But these are people who deal with this every day, whereas no one knows who we are and no one's attacking us in that way. And so for them to, for them to have those reactions, you know, we're not in their shoes and it's hard to judge how that feels. Yeah, sure. 100%. Yeah, you you're know, absolutely man, right. It's, it's also like at some level you do kind of like that's that's kind of the game. You know, and, like, I'm not saying it's right. Like, obviously, you shouldn't fucking send people death threats or whatever. But, like, you know, you're in a business where, like, you're going to do some things that are – you're trying to write a controversial story. You're going to expect some controversy. But it sucks. Like, we've seen it for, like, way, you know, like, things that should be innocuous, right? Like that that um, Mockingbird cover, the alternate cover, right? And then this, this woman gets death threats that she – and she quits Twitter, you know, because they had an alternate cover of a book. Where a female character wore a shirt that advocated feminism, and it's like that's the thing we gotta send people death threats over. It's like unfortunately, unfortunately, even... that word for a lot of people is a triggering word. It causes outrage, and that's bananas to me. Well, and like Len Wein used to say, you know, fans don't know what they want, right? Like, uh, it, there was one one storyline that he and I, I know I've told this story before, but. Uh, just like Len Wein, I know has told this story before. There's a a, a Thor storyline where they, you know, the fans wanted him to kill, uh, I don't know, Jane Foster or whoever, and they didn't like her, and they just wanted her gone, so he did. And then nobody liked that because Jane Foster was gone, and Jane Foster was a great character, so he brought her back, and then nobody liked that. So I mean, at the end of the day, like you know, comics are an evolving medium. Like it's not you know they're not like books where they're created in a in a whole vacuum, you know they do go out by committee and they because of the nature of superhero comics specifically they do evolve, and they you know we we do have to put up with a a sliding you know evolving timeline, and that's just how it is. And and to to that point actually. Comic books aren't like movies or books in the sense that when you from when you start it to when you end it, that's the whole story. If you read issue one of a book, you don't know anything about the book yeah. because there's yeah. potentially dozens and dozens of, of issues that are coming after that. The stories just because, don't yeah. end. Because you know? they're serialized. Yeah. And so you can't you can't judge uh the the content in you know from issue to issue. You know, obviously you could say, well, this issue sucked, right? If you feel like that. Or I didn't like what they did in this specific issue, but if they kill your favorite character, he could come back in the next issue. That's how comics work, you know. And and we're so quick to have these crazy reactions. It's like, well, you know, you're free to be upset if that's how you feel like being, but your life would be a lot easier if you took it easy and just, you know, especially when you're dealing with comics, just you know, take everything you actually read with a grain of salt. Like I know we all read comics, but man, there's more to life than just comics. <laughs> That's also yeah, true. dude. Also, I think like 
I think the biggest thing that's like I think the biggest turnoff for me as a fan of comics and also just like I think for new people who want to like get into comics um fandom in general is like the like the gender politics or like the identity politics at play with like the old guard of comics is like really not cool you know like how much just rampant like racism and sexism and homophobia seems to be just like present in people who are just like I just want comics to stay the same and I'm tired of all these SJWs and you know like why is every why do we have to have queer characters now and everything it's just like like is like is that really such a fucking like affront to your sensibilities you know that like you can't you can't allow there to be room in your fandom for people that aren't like you you know like I mean to some people yeah like and, and, it's and like, that I think sucks that's sad man that sucks it's really you know especially because like just like get personal for a minute it's just like like comics as a as a thing and as a community have been like great to me you know like i've i've met really good friends and like they've enriched my life in a way that like i think it's sad that there's this like in group that like doesn't want other people to be a part of that you know it's like that's fucking no girls allowed there's something not right about that you know like just you at like if you feel that way that like women liking comics or 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 whatever like <laughs> yeah I, that, hang on hang on i want to rephrase what you said uh it's not that there's something not right about that it's that yeah that's, that's not, not right. right yeah there's something not right with you for feeling that way i guess is what i'm trying to say is like like you should look inward and and think about like why why do you need to have this in group that is all people just like you and you know what i mean like that's fucked like why don't you want to share this thing that you love that has enriched your life with as many people as possible and have it lift them up the way that it lifted you up, you know? like, Well, especially when the barrier uh, is, you know, gender or race related, right? Like, that's very silly. Just because I'm a different skin color than you doesn't mean that we don't have the same thoughts or feelings about Captain America. Like, I, I love the character. I think of him a certain way. You probably do too as a fan, but you're telling me that you don't want me to be able to enjoy this because of the color of my skin. That doesn't make any sense. Um, it's it's backwards, quite frankly. And I think it's I think it's rampant right now in comics because something about this time that we're living in is bringing out the worst in people. Uh, and I think part of it is is Marvel and to a lesser extent DC trying to. I don't mean this in a negative way, but force diversity into the books. And a lot of readers are not ready for that. I've commented many times about how I dislike them introducing characters and replacing characters who I love. When I say that, I'm not saying that, for example, I have a problem with Ms. Marvel being a Muslim character. I actually think that's fantastic and one of the best examples of diversity that they've ever done. Um, what I'm talking about is nothing like that. And I think that that what you're addressing, Pete, is a huge problem, and I wish that it would go away. Yeah, man, it's just like uh, I was gonna say. Like, I hope that eventually that those people will like eventually just be gone. But like, I I hope that I don't know. I just hope that there's enough of us left to keep comics going after that point. Well, if those of us who uh, do feel that way would pick up a damn book and read it. Instead of, you know, getting pissed about every other thing that they do and um, not giving these books a chance, if that doesn't happen, well, then those those individuals you're referring to will have their way. 
you know, this Marvel should be a top seller. Like it should be, it should be at the top. If 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 people want diversity the way they say they do, then Miss Marvel, uh, Mighty Thor, Black Widow, Wonder Woman, all those books should be top sellers. And the reality is that they're not. And I want people to put their money where their mouth is. Well, the problem with it is that honestly, it might just be a vocal minority of people that are just not enough to make the sales of a book that substantial. I think there's also a lot of people in the middle who just don't really care. Like, and they're, they're a silent majority, you know? And and they, they like, they don't have a problem with Kamala Khan, but they're not interested in, in, in reading about her because they like whoever they like and they read that book and that's that. You know, like, they like Batman or Superman or Spider-Man and that's cool for them. And they don't need to read a new character, you know? I don't think that there's anything wrong with that at all. I think that that's perfectly uh, reasonable. I'm referring to the people who, for example, the America book that just released. Uh, everybody's, you know, happy that that book got 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 printed, and that's great. Buy it then, you know, buy it. Show Marvel that that's what you want. Simply saying over Twitter, "Hey, I'm so glad that Gabby Rivera's writing this book isn't enough." Yeah, or like writing a think piece about it. You know, to be like, oh, cool, look, we won. We Like, here's a win for comics. And then we all stop caring about it, and then it dies. So I think that about wraps up our conversation here. Uh, politics it's and been comics. a good one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, politics are inherent in comics. They're important. And, you know, we need to not silence anybody who has something to say and wants to use comics as a platform to say it. I think we need to embrace all perspectives and, you know, have the discourse about whether or not something is right or wrong. But when it comes to what takes place in the books, let them exist and let's judge for ourselves in a calm and respectful way whether or not we enjoy it. Because at the end of the day, these are being written for our enjoyment and we need to, you know, take them at face value. Uh, So that about wraps up episode 21 of the Comics Pals. Uh, just as a reminder, you can check us out all over the internet on social media at the Comics Pals. Uh, you can find us on most podcast hosting platforms, particularly iTunes, where you can leave us a, a five star rating, which is much appreciated. Uh, we're also on TuneIn now, right? Yes, we're on TuneIn, Tune in, Google Play, SoundCloud. SoundCloud is good to us. Yep, everywhere. Also, yeah, like if you if there's a platform that you'd like us to be on. Let us know. We'll get there. You know, like if, if there's a you're listening to the show on SoundCloud, but you want it on Podbay or whatever, like let us know. Like I we'll th- try to I get on the, the podcast service of your choosing. I think we're on Podbay. All right. There you go. We're already <laughs> on top of it. We're on so many. We don't even know where we are. We're fucking climbing the ladders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and YouTube. YouTube. Check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. It means a lot. Um, leave us a comment. Like the videos. And again, the most important thing that you can do is share. Uh, share the YouTube link, share the SoundCloud link, share the iTunes. Let people know what we're doing. If you like what we do, it'll help us out a lot. So let's get into some plugs. Pete. Cool. Uh, yeah, so thanks again for joining us on another episode of the Comics Pals. Um, I'm going to give a special shout out to an p- extra piece of content that Kale and I did for the, the show this week. Uh, we did a review of Kong Skull Island. Um, so go check that out. If you guys like the idea of us doing movie reviews, it's something we're kind of toying with um, as maybe like a new show or something like that. So if you have any interest in that, let us know um, and maybe we'll make them a more regular thing. Uh, but if you want some more content from me, uh, you can go check out my YouTube channel, Slack and Slash, where I host a podcast every Monday. Uh, we talk about the news and, you know, kind of general just video game stuff. Uh, we do Let's Plays on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and then 
scripted shows or streams usually on Wednesdays. That's kind of a flux day. Um, so if you're a gamer, please come hang out. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Um, if you want to check out some of my writing, you can go to cbr.com slash P-I-M-B. Uh, and that's, you'll get to my author page, check out all the lists that I write there um, and help me pay the rent. And uh, you can check out my most recent piece, should be up by this point, on um, 15 Kaiju that I'd like to see come to the big screen after how much I loved Kong Skull Island. Nice. And uh, then if you want to get me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete wherever social media is sold. And make sure you harass him. Be angry at yeah. Pete. Yep, do it. Please. I feed on your hate. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I'm a sweet boy. I love you. You send a death threat to my sweet, sweet PDI. Oh, I will send death threats to you. Don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Kale, go for it. Uh, This week, I'm going to plug a little film called uh, The Three Ninjas. Uh, It has a uh, a hot, hot 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. But man, that is a, a great, great film. Uh, if you're into terrible films. Do for a reboot uh, on that one, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. A gritty one. Um, Jaden Smith plays all three of them. You can find my comics at selfie.com slash panels publishing and also on Comicsology, whatever the hell that comics thing is called, at panels publishing. You can find us on Facebook as Panels Comics and Twitter at Panels Comics with an X. Uh, I think this week, probably today, uh, the rest of uh, the Panels crew, Letty and and Nathan and uh, Faye, are all in uh, Newcastle uh, at, uh, I believe it's called Canny, maybe Granny Comic Con. You guys won't know anything about that, but uh, go check them out, even though this is going to come out well after that. con is finished so uh yeah go check them out that'll be fun uh you can find me on uh twitter and instagram at toto into that's t-o-t-o-i-n-t-o-w phil uh real quick i'm gonna plug marco's stuff since he left on twitter he's what was marco on instagram he's what is marco underscore or maybe it's the other way around whatever well he's a trash boy and smells like swamps and uh, the one-up Kale, I'm going to plug Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain from 1998 with Hulk Hogan. And then uh, you can find me, of course, on Twitter and Instagram as Cyborg Bebop. I recently, uh, I am now a writer at CBR as well. My first article should be up next week. It's about the 15 most underutilized teams in DC Comics. You can check that out and give me money as well. Whoop, whoop, we taking over! Congratulations, with the, with the metal men headlining that list. That's true. Big Hell old yeah. metal man. All right. And I'm uh, at Sean Soapbox on Twitter. You can hit me up and, you know, whatever. Argue. Don't. Outrage him. Be outraged. I'll respond to you in kind because I like to argue. Fans, so, if, you're, if you're still listening this, this long, you're definitely the diehardest of the diehard. I'm going to ask you. I want you to tweet at Sean every day until he starts using Twitter. I want Sean every time he logs in to have like a hundred fucking notifications until he actually starts using Twitter. Let's get this campaign going, all right? Hashtag start Sean. There's nothing to engage with. I need what? some engagement. Dude, the first yeah, day you yeah. got on Twitter, you were We're like, aware. Slots on Twitter? Brian Michael Bendis? You just start following all these people? You would have a fucking field. All right. Do it. Excellent. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So tell that, Sean that CM Punk sucks. That'll get Don't him going. do that. Don't do that. <laughs> All right. CM Monday Punk morning. Gene Gray. CM Punk and tell him Sean hates him. No. No. <laughs> With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take Bye. care, guys. Bye. Oh. Yeah, dig. I, yeah, dig. <laughs> yeah, dig. I have a campaign for All next right, week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tweet a picture. I'm gonna go into Photoshop and make a picture of Jean Grey with CM Punk, and then like fucking Cyclops really far off in the background, just like on his knees, like no. <laughs>